All right. Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series on called, well, it's called Time, Talent, and Treasure. And we're looking at this idea of stewarding the resources that God has given us. And we're asking the question, how do we steward our lives well? How do we use our time, talent, and treasure in a way that glorifies God, in a way that honors Jesus Christ? And so the last couple of weeks, we looked at the idea of stewarding our time. Uh, what does it mean to use our time wisely? How do we make sure not to waste our time? And if you're interested in that, you could listen to that online if you'd like. Uh, but today we're going to move on and we're going to talk about talent. Um, how do we steward the talent that God has given us? How do we steward the abilities, aptitudes, passions, callings that God has given us? How do, what do we do with our talent? Now, if I don't know, if I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but when I think about talent, um, I don't know why I think this, but I, I think of America's Got Talent. Uh, and that's all I could think of this week as I was studying the passage. And, and I think it's because our culture is a little obsessed with talent. We have this TV show where people uh, go on there to, to pr- try to prove to the world that, they, that they've got talent, that they're gifted. You know, and so there's these people, they get on TV and, and uh, you know, they want to be the next, you know, you fill in the blank, Beyonce or, or uh, you know, John Lennon or whatever. And so they get up in front of the, the, the panel of celebrity judges and they put themselves out there. And, uh, you know, maybe if you're like me, this is what you think about when you think about talent. And if this is the way you think about talent, you probably uh, get a little nervous. Maybe you feel the pressure when you start thinking about gifts and talents and whether you've got talent. They started doing this thing where they, you know, they'll interview somebody behind the stage and whenever you see that person back there, they're always nervous, you know, they're, they're almost in tears, you know, they can feel such pressure. It's because the question that the judges decide is whether you've got talent or whether you don't have talent. You either got it or you don't. We're gonna give you a thumbs up or we're gonna tell you to and so maybe uh, if that's the way you think about talent, talent makes you feel pressure. You know, do I have talent? Am I gifted? Am I one of the gifted ones? Are my kids gifted? Do my kids have talent? How do they compare to other kids? You know, do I, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I important enough? And maybe because you think of talent this way, you get kind of nervous and you feel the pressure. And this morning, we're going to look at a, a, a parable that Jesus uh, tells about talent. And maybe you start thinking, well, gosh, Jesus tells this parable about talent. You know, Jesus cares about it too. And maybe this makes you a little bit nervous. But as we look at the parable of the talents, I want us to see that although Jesus does, uh, he does show that talent and knowing your talent is so important. It's cosmically important. He also in some ways disarms and he takes the teeth out of the question, am I talented or not? And so we're going to look at this wonderful parable and uh, we got to see the context of it. So Jesus tells this story and it's in the context of eschatology, which basically means the context of the end of the world. He's talking about his second coming. And so uh, Matthew 24, 25, 26, where Jesus tells the story, uh, he's talking about his second coming. He's going to come back. He's going to return. And they're all asking the question, how are you living in light of his second coming? Are you prepared? Are you waiting? Are you ready? This is the question that he's getting at when he, when he tells the story. And one of the points that Jesus makes here by telling the parable of the talent is that part of, part of being ready for the return of Christ, part of being prepared for his coming is using the talent that he's given you. 
I want us to see three features in the story. Number one, we're going to look at the talent, what he means by the talent. Second of all, we're going to look at the warning that Jesus gives about talent. And then finally, we're going to look, about, look at the redemption. So the talent, the warning, and the redemption here in the story. Let's, be, let's begin to look at it. And so in verse 14, he says, For it, or the kingdom of God, will be like a man uh, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one he, he gave one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. And so as the story opens up, uh, Jesus pictures this master, this uh, businessman, and he's going on a long journey. And so he, he gives uh, his wealth to uh, some servants, and he entrusts his wealth to them while he's gone. And in the story, uh, the word talent, you need to know, is a, is a unit of weight, and it has to do with the, a measure of wealth or a measure of money. And you also need to know that it is a huge uh, unit of weight that he's talking about here. So one talent would be equivalent to 15 years' wages. And uh, so in a day and age where uh, most people were day laborers and they lived day to day, 15 years' wages all at once was a huge amount of money. And so this guy is sort of like the town the town's Bill Gates, and he's leaving these people a huge sum of money, maybe the equivalent of like a million dollars in our day. But I also want you to see that uh, throughout the ages, this story has been interpreted uh, to mean, you know, the stewardship more than just of money, right? So it's literally money here, but when he's talking about talents here, uh, Jesus, most people believe, is talking about the stewardship of everything in your life, So not just money, but your gifts and your talents and your aptitudes and abilities. A talent here stands for calling. It stands for for what you're good at. It stands for your opportunity. In fact, our word talent uh, that we use here in in our modern English language goes back to this parable. So this is a parable about what you're doing with the gifts that God has given you. How are you stewarding that? And so let's look at these uh, talents that the man uh, gives them. I want you to notice a few things about them. So uh, first of all, I want you to see that everybody in the story has talent. Everybody's got talent. Uh, Jesus gives, uh, or the master gives, every single person here something. There are no no no-talent people in the story. And this is important to notice because some of us might be thinking, well, I don't have any gifts, or the gifts that I have are insignificant. They're unimportant. They're not really a big deal. But notice in the story, every single person has a huge amount of talent. Everybody in the story has something to give. There are no no no-talent people in the story. I also want you to see here that the talents are, are, are distributed in an uneven fashion. So everybody's got talent, but not everybody has the same talent. And I think what Jesus is pointing out here is is kind of what we experience in life, isn't it? You know, everybody has a different measure of talent. Some people's talents are are visible and celebrated in the culture. Other people's talent is a little bit more hidden and maybe viewed as not quite as significant. And so this is just life as we know it. Everybody has a different amount of opportunity. Everybody's got a different amount of gifting. Everybody has different talents. And so uh, we see that they're distributed in an uneven fashion. But this rings true with the rest of the Bible. So notice 1 Peter 4 says, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So notice in this statement, it says everybody's got a gift, 
But the gifts are varied. The grace is varied. So everybody has something. Not everybody has the same amount, but everybody has quite a lot. I also want to want you to notice about the, the talents, that the talents in the stories does not belong to the stewards. And so we learn that the talent that we have is not properly ours. The talents are on loan. The talents are, are distributed to them. And, and when, the, when, the, when the master gives them the talent, he doesn't give up ownership. He says, I'm entrusting this to you and I want you to use it in a way that honors and glorifies me, that I want you to use it in such a way that I would use it if I were you. And so uh, this shows us that we need to understand our talent, talents. We need to view our talents uh, you know, in a way that a money manager views the wealth that he has. So we relate to our gifts and talents in the same way that a money manager relates to the wealth of the client. So if you're, you're a money manager and the wealth and the money and the client gives you wealth, you don't say, oh, it's mine. <laughs> this is my wealth. I can do whatever I want. No, if you're a good money manager, you are going to use that money in a way that resonates and agrees with your client, the person who actually owns the money. And this is the way our gifts are. It's counterintuitive. You might say, well, my gifts are my gifts. My, opportunity, my opportunities are mine. What I have, either I earned it or I got it. It's mine. I'll do with it whatever I want. The parable says, no, everything we have is on loan to us from God. And so this means that we are accountable to, what God, to God for what we have and the gifts that we have. So notice in the story, the master comes back and he settles accounts. This means he makes them accountable. He says, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? God is going to do the same thing with us with our gifts. What did you do with the talents? What did you do with the gifts? Because really our lives are not our own. They're all entrusted to us by God. I also want you to see that the talents are an incredible responsibility. So like we said, it's a lot of money. And in some ways, uh, you know, th this responsibility is they didn't choose it. <laughs> you know, the master didn't ask them, how much money do you want me to give you? You know, how much talent do you want me to? They, they had no choice in that matter. They got what they got. And uh, it's kind of true with us. You get what you, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? That's what they say. <laughs> you get what you get. And uh, you were born, what family you were born into. You, weren't, you didn't choose your genes. You didn't choose uh, your, the, some specific opportunity that, opportunities that come to you from growing up in your family of origin. You didn't choose your gifts. A lot of what you get, you just got. Maybe you wouldn't have chosen it if, if, chosen it if, you, didn't have, if you had the choice in the matter. But the point is here that God has given him something. The master has given us something. And we actually have a lot of freedom in how we use it. Right? You get what you get, but you, there's a lot of freedom in what you do with what you get. There's a lot of, of freedom, and the door is open, and the master doesn't dis dictate, this is how I want you to use what I've given you. He says, there, there's a lot of freedom, there's a lot of leeway. I just want you to go out and do something with it. And so I want you to see here that the talent rests upon us a question, and the question is this, what are you going to do with your life? I love what Mary Oliver said, that her quote is in the bulletin. What will you do with this one wild and precious life of yours? God has given you things. God has given you talents, abilities, opportunities, callings. And what the parable is pressing upon us is the question, what are you going to do with them? 
that moves on to the second uh, feature of the story that I want to point out. There's a warning here. So what do they do with the, with the talents that the master gave them? What are we going to do with the talents that God has given us? Notice uh, in verse 16. It says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, as we said. And he, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the talents and saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. I've made five more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. I will make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. There's a warning here in the story about talent. And the warning here is not so much that you're going to go out and do bad things with the talent. That is something that you could do. You know, you, you could, you, maybe God has given you the gift of, to sing, you know, you're a performer or whatever. You could take that gift and go out and draw attention to yourself and promote yourself and glorify yourself so that your ego blows up, you know, and you become this, you know, really puffed up prideful person. You could use that gift for evil. Or if you, maybe you've been given a gift of, uh, you know, business acumen and you're, you're wise with money. You could use that gift to exploit people. You could use that gift to take advantage of employees. You could use that gift to uh, just be cutthroat in the way you do business. Maybe somebody's given you, uh, maybe you've got some other gifts, some other ability, and you're using it, you know, to, uh, to hurt people or to damage people or for, for some other self. There, there's a lot of bad things you can do with the gifts that God has given you. The irony is so many people uh, use what God has given them in ways that dishonor God. But that's not what this parable is about. This parable points out another danger. And it's kind of a subtle danger. What, what Jesus says here is, he says, here's the, here's the warning, here's the danger when it comes to your talent that I've given you. Here's the danger that comes with all the gifts and all the talent and all the abilities that you have. Here's the danger. Not so much that you're going to go out and do something bad with it, although that's a possibility. The danger I want to present to you is that you might actually do nothing with the talent. That's what the, ser the, the final servant does. Notice uh, the other two servants, they went out and they got to work and they multiplied the talents. What did the third guy do? He went out to a field, he dug a deep hole, and he buried his talent in the ground. What a vivid picture of neglecting the gift that God has given you. What a vivid picture of, of what it might look like to just do nothing or do, to do very little with the things that God has entrusted to you. Jesus says, here's the danger. It's a subtle danger. 
But it's a very serious danger that with all the gifts and all the talents, 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 I'm golem here, all the things that you've received, that you might actually neglect, neglect the gift that God has given you. That's what Paul told Timothy in the New Testament. Timothy, who was his timid soul and, you know, had a lot to give, but he didn't give it. And so Paul comes and he says, you've neglected the gift that is in you. There's the danger. In the Bible, there are sins of commission. These are things that you do that are bad. But there's also sins of omission. This is failing to do the good that God has for you. Yeah, there's doing bad, but there's also the more passive, you know, failing to do the good that God has entrusted to you. In fact, one of the, the most prominent sins throughout church history is the sin of acedia, which is literally the sin of sloth, right? That you might actually neglect and not do the things that God is calling you into. Now notice how, Jesus, how harsh Jesus is with this servant who doesn't do anything. And throughout church history also, uh, people have kind of minimized this. So there's a, a retelling of this story in the early church in this document called the Gospel of the Nazarene. And they retell the story, but they change it a little bit. He's, the, the, the man who doesn't spend the talents well, it says that he went out and he spent his money on prostitutes and flute players. Now, apparently, this is the, these are the two worst categories of people he can think of, prostitutes and flute players. Now, I don't know why a flautist got such a bad rap there. <laughs> but they said, that ah, he must have done something bad. He must have done something evil for Jesus to really come down on him like this. But no, according to the Bible, it is a serious thing to neglect what God has given you, to bury the talent to not use the things that God has entrusted to you. There's this quote that uh, I, can, I can't remember who said it, but it says, all it takes for evil to prosper in this world is for good people to do what? Nothing. This is a parable about the danger of doing nothing. I wonder if it's speaking to you. I know it doesn't speak to everybody. You know, some of us are go-getters and we, you know, we know what needs to be done and we're active. We're like the first people who at once took that talent and multiplied it and did, you know, there are some people that are like that, but then there are others of you who maybe you're a little bit more timid and maybe you you think about things a lot and and this is the danger for you that, that you've got talents and you've got opportunities maybe that are unique to you. You've got a calling a calling maybe to, to raise children or to, to, you know, develop a strong marriage or to uh, use your gifts in the business world or use your gifts in the church. There are things for you to do. And some of you are in danger of burying your talent. Now, why did this man do this? I, I, I kind of want to get into his head a little bit here and camp on this. Why would he bury his talent? Why, why would we neglect the gifts that God has given us? Why did this man, you know, just kind of dig that hole and just decide not to do anything? Perhaps it was fear. In the story, when Jesus, when Jesus uh, in the form of the master, says, why didn't you do something with the talent? The first thing he says was, you know what? I was afraid. And a lot of times you may not use the gift that God has given you because you're afraid. You know, you're afraid of what, might pe- what people might think of you if you use that gift. Maybe you're thinking, you know, if I, if I do that, if I go out, if I step out, I might disappoint my mom or my dad. I might disappoint my boss or I might disappoint some of my friends. 
You know, and, and so, and I can't do that. I just don't know, what, what's everybody gonna think if I do that? Well, listen, this man doesn't answer to his boss or his friends or his mom. He answers to the man, to the master who gave him the gift. Maybe he was afraid of failure. A lot of us don't step out and do things with our gifts because we're afraid of screwing it up. You know, you may, he, this, he only had one talent. He didn't have much ability, the, the passage says. So maybe he's thinking, I, don't, I just don't know what to do. And what if I mess it up? What if I step out, I, I'm gonna use my gifts to teach Sunday school at church and those kids just eat me alive? <laughs> then what do I do? You know, some of you guys, you're so good at planning and you are catastrophizers. You know everything that can go wrong. And so you can think so much about what might happen if you did step out that you convince yourself just to stay where you are. And so maybe he just talked himself out of doing anything. And he was just so afraid, he was so worried about failure that he just decided to do nothing. There's a story of uh, um, Darren Patrick, he was a pastor in Missouri, and he said um, his dad growing up was one of those dads that uh, was there, but he wasn't there. He's kind of an absent father. And he said, you know, uh, this really hurt him, you know, this really wounded him. And he said when his dad got older, his dad became a Christian, and in a moment of honesty, he was talking with his dad, and he says, Dad, why were you just so absent? Why were you so just, you know, neglectful when I was a young man? And he says, you know what, Darren, you were a hard boy to raise. He said, you were strong-willed. I just didn't know what to do with you. And he said, I remember there was one night we were at the dinner table, and you stood up in your seat, and you looked at me, and you said, I'm not eating my peas. And then he says, your mom looked at me and said, what are you going to do? And he said, I felt so much pressure that he said, at that moment, I just checked out. And he said, I just, I just decided to check out. And so maybe you've decided to check out because you're afraid. Afraid of screwing up. Afraid of what might happen if you do take that opportunity. The irony is, is that you, it's actually more costly to do nothing. You can say, oh, I'm not going to risk anything. I'm not going to step out. Well, it's actually more risky to do nothing. What is, it co- what is it costing you right now to be sitting on your talent? So maybe he was afraid. Perhaps uh, it, was, it was the fact that he procrastinated. <laughs> I like to think about this because I'm kind of a procrastinator. Maybe he thought, you know what? I'm going to do something with that talent. Oh, it's a big responsibility. I'm, I'm going to do something, but I don't have time right now. There's a lot of things going on. And, and you know, this is a hard big pressure situation, and so uh, maybe like a lot of us, he, the hard things, we kind of leave them to the end to do, and so maybe he said, I'm going to bury this talent, I'm going to put it in the ground, and I've got other things to do, and I'll work on them, and, and, and tomorrow I'm going to do something with that talent, and then tomorrow came, and he thought, I don't have time today, it, tomorrow I'm going to do something about, about that, and then tomorrow, and then tomorrow, and then next week, and then next month, and time just got away from him. And maybe this is you. Maybe your favorite word is tomorrow. I know, I, I know there, I've got callings. I know I've got gifts. And I'm going to do something about that, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to fix the cracks in my marriage. I know that's a big deal, but I'm so busy today. I'll do, it, I'll do that next week. I know I need to spend time with this child. I've, I've got a responsibility to raise this boy or this girl. And I'm going to do that, but I'm so busy now. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put that off till next week. Yeah, I know God is calling me to, to serve in church, and, and I'm going to do that. You know, I'm sitting here today, and maybe I'll fill out a surf card, but I'm going to do that next week. So many of us put things off, especially hard things, especially crucial things. In the Bible, uh, 
laziness is not, don't think about laziness as like physical laziness. The definition of laziness is not so much being inactive. In fact, you, if laziness can coexist with much busyness. Laziness is actually the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So here's a guy. This thing needs to be done. Maybe he's just putting it off. Notice he puts it off until it's too late. He's, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow until the master comes and there is no tomorrow. Maybe he buried the treasure out of comparison. You know, a lot of us compare our talents with the talents of other people. And in this passage, you know, the different um, allotments of talent, talents plays a big role. And so maybe he thought, you know, they have a lot of talent. I don't have much talent. You know, compared to their talent, my talent is really insignificant. And somebody thought, maybe he thought, it doesn't matter what I do. What I do is not going to make a big difference anyway. And so you know what? I'm just maybe overwhelmed with the pressure and being, comparing himself to, himself to other people. Maybe that's what kept him inactive, is just comparing himself to other people. You know, we could do this a lot now with social media. You can compare your gifts to other people's gifts and your talents to other people's talents. And if you're not careful, you can just look at what everybody else has and diminish what you have. But notice in the passage, Jesus doesn't ask this man to do something with what he doesn't have. He asked him to do something with what he does have. There's, there's a quote by John Ortberg. He, he said this, At the end of the day, God will not ask you why you did not lead someone else's life or invest somebody else's gifts. He will not ask what you did with what you did not have. He will ask, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? He says, don't think about what you don't have. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. He says, you need to just think about what do I have? However little you think it is. Even in this parable, even a little was a ton. 15 years wages. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Uh, a, a couple weeks ago, or last week actually, I, I took my son Jude to uh, Sakura. And we, we sat around the Teflon um, what is that called? Grill, you know, and he's cooking in front of you. And he took this, uh, a, whole, a huge mound of rice, and he put it on the grill there, and he's, and he's cooking away, and I'm getting really hungry for rice. And uh, as he's cooking, he gets done, and then he starts to allot the rice to everybody. And you know what I found out? He actually gave me less rice than everybody else. <laughs> Some of you have been there. The first guy got a huge mound of rice. And the next person got a little bit less. And then when he got to me, I was like, I hardly got anything. Even Jude got more than I got. And I started getting mad. And I was thinking, I need to say something. In fact, my wife said, Brent, you should have said something. And I didn't. That would have been embarrassing. But a lot of times you can have this internal dialogue. Why do they get so much? Listen, even at Sakura, the little amount that I got was a ton. I took it home. <laughs> There was enough. Listen, God has given you enough. What you have is enough. Your one wild and precious life is huge. The gifts that you have and the callings that you have and the talents that you have and the aptitudes that you have and the opportunities that only you have, this is a lot. Don't compare it to what other people have. 
Because at the end of the day, God is not gonna ask you what you did with what you didn't have. He's gonna ask you, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? But it wasn't very much. Jesus says, what will you do with that one life that I entrusted to you? But, but, but I, I was afraid, what did you do? What did you do? So this is a warning in the story. Jesus wants to press it home to us. He, he says, I don't want you to waste your talent. I don't want you to bury it. I don't want you to neglect it. And again, this is cosmic. He, you know, this is, this is, how do you prepare for the second coming of Jesus? One of the ways that you prepare is by making sure that you are using and you're being faithful with the things that God has entrusted to you. What do you have? Well, there's a third uh, feature of the story that I want to point out, which is the redemption of talent. When you look at the story here, um, in this, in this uh, you know, bald, plain parable, there's not much redemption. It's like Jesus just says, here's what, what you shouldn't do. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a big problem if you do. Don't do that, whatever you do. And that's the parable. Jesus just warns, and that's normal for a parable. You know, these parables, uh, you know, they are kind of harsh when you read them, and, you know, you do something wrong, and it's weeping and gnashing of teeth for you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's no soup for you. It's, it's, you know, there's not a lot of grace here. And so you got to ask the question, where is the gospel in the story? Where's the good news in the story? For those of us who procrastinate, those of us who are afraid, those of us who don't use our gift, those of us who suffer from just letting opportunities pass us by and think and overthink and overthink things, where is the grace in the story for us? Where is Jesus here? Well, I want to think a little bit about how we might redeem the story of the parable, the, the parable of the talent. First of all, let's look for Jesus in the story. Where might Jesus show up in this passage? I want to suggest that Jesus Christ is the faithful steward. Jesus Christ is the only human being who ever stewarded the resources that God gave him perfectly. He's the only one who does what's right perfectly. Jesus lived the life that he should have lived. He lived the life that we should have lived. He was faithful with what God gave him. In fact, in, in John 17, he says, God, I have done the work that you have called me to do. I've taken care of these disciples. I haven't lost one of them. Jesus lived the perfect life of stewardship. He lives the life that we should have lived. And Jesus is the only one who deserves to hear that phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. He can rightfully claim that. He earned that. But notice, what did Jesus get? Jesus, in fact, gets the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. He lives the life that we should have lived, and then in reward for that, he gets hung on a cross, dying the death that we deserved, taking our punishment. Jesus lived the perfect life of stewardship and takes the punishment for failing to do with the gifts that, that, that we fail to do. And by doing that, he earns for us the well done. And what this means is that as a Christian, here's the good news. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because it is his work that saves you and not your own, at the end of the day, if you believe in him, you will hear those wonderful words, well done. 
You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my beloved. I value you. I, I take pleasure in you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Notice what this also means is that we can disconnect our stewardship of our talent from our identity. Right? What is your, your identity is that Jesus Christ loves you because of what he has done for you. And so many of us put our identity in our talent. We are our talent. We are what we make of ourselves in the real world. This is why when you watch America's Got Talent, people are just in a panic. They're so nervous and there's so much pressure because their identity is riding on their performance. And for too many people, your identity is riding on your performance. Your identity is all wrapped up in how much money you make or how well you do or how important you are. This parable is telling us that you can disconnect your identity from the use of the talents. You are more than your talents. Using your talents is important, but it's not your identity. Now somebody says, doesn't this take the teeth out of the parable? I mean, this parable is a warning. Doesn't this take, if, if I already have the well done, doesn't that take the teeth out of the story? Well, not really. God is still gonna come, Jesus is still gonna come back. He is, we do have to make an account of our lives to God, but our, our identity, our cosmic identity is not riding on that. And this changes our motive because now we can use our gifts not so much to, to build our identity, but we can use our gifts out of our identity. Let me see if I could explain it like this. A, a couple years ago, I think it was about five years ago, Anita went away on a journey, just like the master here. She went to New York City, and she left me in charge of all the kids, except for one, Jude. She left me in charge of all the kids, and she's never done that again. <laughs> because it was kind of a disaster. The house was a wreck, the kids ate terribly, um, Samuel got stitches, you know, one of them was running around naked most of the time. I mean, it was a disaster. But here's the deal, when Anita, when it got closer for Anita to return, I got to work. I cleaned up the house. I, some of you guys relate. I cleaned up the house. I took all the bad food out of the refrigerator and put like organic in there. You know, the kids had clothes on at all times. You know, every, I just cleaned it all up, and I was the closer it got to her return, the harder I worked. Now, why did I do that? I didn't do it out of fear. I wasn't afraid that Anita would come home and see everything and say, like, that's it. I'm divorcing you. It's over. You know, no, I'm secure. The fact, Anita loves me. I know that. I know that she loves me. In fact, this is why I work so hard. I, I wanted to be ready for her return because I love her. And I wanted to please her. I wanted to, to look at the house and go, oh, you kept it clean the whole time? And I'd say, yes, I do. <laughs> I want to suggest that this is kind of the way we should approach our talents. Listen, you are already accepted by God. You are already justified because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your identity, your cosmic identity is not riding on whether you use your gifts well or not. I want you to use your gifts because your master is good. In fact, one of the problems in the story is this man has the wrong view of his master. 
He says, you were hard. I know you're hard and you're merciless. And I was afraid. And actually, it's this fear that kept him inactive. But what if your master is generous? What if your master loves you? What if your master will pick you up when you fail? What if your master has already redeemed you and using your gift is just a matter of pleasing him? Well, this is motivation. So I want to ask you the question, what are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? I hope this speaks to you and I hope the Spirit speaks in the room. Are there talents that you're neglecting? Are there callings that you're neglecting? Are there gifts and abilities and passions and aptitudes that you've buried in the ground that you're sitting on? What is keeping you from using the generous gifts that your master has given you? And I want to encourage you today that there is grace. There is more grace. And there's forgiveness and there's power to step out and use it. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much for the, the story here about the talents. Um, it presses home an important message, an important warning. And that is, uh, you know, there are many of us who have the tendency to sit on the opportunities and the gifts that you've given us. We're afraid. Maybe we're comparing. We think we're insignificant. We think we just don't have very much to give. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to what we have. And I pray that you would give us strength and power to follow your promptings to use the gifts that you've given us. God, I pray that you would forgive us when we fail. I pray that you would empower us. Lord, that you would use us, God, to step out in faith and to make a difference in this world and to be ready for you when you come back. And we pray this in Jesus' name.